Great to see everybody. I'm glad you're here tonight. We're going to pick up in chapter 5. Don, so appreciated Don last week, uh, picking up on that. He actually took one of my favorite topics. He did that twice. Back when we were in, in, um, in the book of Acts, there was a week that I was out, and it was a, one of my favorite passages, which was Acts chapter 10, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles at Cornelius' house, and Don got to teach that, so I was a little bummed about that. And then this time, we had our grandkids in town from Houston. We get them about once a year for several days, and uh, I just have to tell you, I need a vacation after that. I'm just saying. But we took them out to Mo Ranch, had a sweet time, wonderful time. They wore us completely out. We might have worn them out too, so we had a great time. But it was it was a sweet, sweet time, and I'd never been out to Mo Ranch before, so that was really impressive. Anybody know about Mo Ranch, you guys? Yeah, I figure locals definitely beautiful, beautiful place. So anyway, it was a great time. But I miss you guys. When I'm not here I I feel like I miss family and so thank you thank you I appreciate that well like I said I, I was so thankful for Don stepping up but he also he got to take one of my favorite topics which is the love of the word of God the word of God but we're going to take it to another level tonight we're going to talk about spiritual hunger so if you have your purple book go ahead and turn to uh, chapter 5 and it's called Spiritual Hunger in God's Word. We're going to pick up in Lesson 3, Spiritual Hunger. And I uh, just want to remind you of our, of our Harvest Vision. I'm going to be talking a lot more about this on Sunday. For those of you that have been faithful to this class, and many of you have been really a core group here, uh, you're going to hear some things that I talk a lot about here, but not so much on Sunday morning. So you guys sort of get the preview of a lot of things, and you probably know more at what's going on than just about anybody. So, because I'm pretty free with you guys. So, I'm excited about Sunday morning, and I would ask you, if you would, pray for me as I bring a message on, our, on the vision and what, what our future is going to look like. And I believe that God's given me a glimpse into this thing, and uh, so I'll be talking about that on Sunday. So, please pray. I would ask you uh, to pray and ask, pray for our people. Pray that eyes will be open, ears will be open, hearts will be open to receive the vision. The scripture says, without a vision, the people what? They perish, they cast off restraint. And so, so we want to, the Bible also says that we're to write the vision and make it plain so that he who sees it or reads it can run with it. So we, we want a vision that's clear, plain, simple. By the way, the gospel is not complicated. We are, but the gospel's not, right? And so we're going to bring this thing back, and we'll also be talking about our new name. We'll show you the new logo and just where we're going with all that and a lot of moving parts. But I'm excited about Sunday, So, but I'm always excited about tonight because you guys, I mean, don't tell them that you're my favorite. I'm just saying, just right here, you're my favorite. You're the most fun to be around. So, <laughs> and that's on Facebook. Okay, all right edit. So here we go. Um, Harvest Vision. I love Acts 1-8, and you'll hear this again on Sunday, but I'm not, so I won't camp out on it. But you will receive power. This was Jesus speaking, and you remember this from our Acts study. You will receive power, dunamis, explosive power, power for working miracles, it literally means. Uh, you'll receive dunamis, power, dynamite, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will 
not you might be, or if you choose to be, <laughs> you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. And that is our harvest vision. And I'll unpack these four Ds, which I've done for you, so we're not going to do that tonight. But I do want to re go back to this, um, this quote from Alan Hirsch. Alan Hirsch, Dr. Alan Hirsch, is a brilliant, brilliant missiologist. He studies church, studies missions, studies the gospel, studies the movement of the gospel across the world and throughout history. And he's one of my favorite, as well as Russ. Russ and I, we trade quotes from Alan Hirsch all the time. But listen to what he says. A key to the health, the maintenance, the extension. Wait, that's, this is me. See, I already got you going here. There it is. So a key to the health, the maintenance, the extension, and the growth of the church is not more evangelism. Can somebody tell me what evangelism is? Just define it for me. You don't need to be a theologian or a doctoral student. Just what's, what is evangelism? Winning people to Christ, sharing the gospel. Philip, yeah, spreading the word. Right. It's, it's taking this message out. It's doing what we're called to do. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now, just because there's an office of evangelists doesn't mean that we don't do evangelism or we only leave it to those select few evangelists. Does that make sense? We're all called to share our faith. We're all called to be a part and to live a life on mission. We're called to live missional lives. And so, look at this. The key to the health, maintenance, extension, the growth of church is not more evangelism, but more discipleship. Sometimes the mentality is we got to do more revivals. Remember revivals back in the day? Ooh, boy. We, when I was a young Baptist kid, I mean, they were like five, six, seven days long. And if it really got rolling... If it really got rolling, we might extend it even. And there's some that I was a part of that did. It was really amazing. And we had some wonderful times. And then as I got a little older and became a ministerial student, then I got to go out and preach revivals or lead worship for revivals. And it just, it was a beautiful, wonderful time. But I think sometimes we, we mistook, or at least we, we thought if we had a series of meetings in the fall and the spring and called it a revival, that we were somehow having revival. We were having meetings and some evangelism was going forth. Oftentimes, if an authentic, true evangelist showed up to teach and preach, it's interesting that that gift would get disseminated through the body. Do you, would y'all remember that? That even for maybe even a few weeks or months after a, a really powerful revival, you'd see more people coming to Christ because people were energized and empowered with a spirit or a gift or a grace of evangelism. It's the same way in a pastoral. Max Lucado, he is a pastor. Hello, he is pastor par excellence. You get around Max very, very long, you're just going to start loving people and oozing grace. Why? Because that's what Max does. That's his grace. That's on his life because he is a pastor and teacher. And so those offices are there. But here's the thing. It doesn't say anything about discipleship in this fivefold ministry. Why? Because discipleship is assumed because it was the greatest commandment, one of the greatest commandments, the great commission, where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, go therefore and win people to Jesus. Go therefore and win souls. No, go therefore and make disciples. There's a couple of things going on here. First of all, can you make a disciple before they're born again? Actually, you can. Actually, you can. In fact, I myself and probably some of you learned a lot about Jesus before you came to know Christ. 
I heard stories. I sat through teachings. I didn't become a Christian until I was 18 years of age. And I had sat through many teachings on the Bible. I was getting discipled because the word disciple only means to be a student, a pupil, a follower. I was being taught before I ever stepped over the line. So unfortunately, we think evangelism and discipleship means we got to get them saved. No matter what, we just got to get them saved. But really, what we need to do is get them discipled. And in the process of discipleship, people come to an awareness of their own because the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. The scales fall off. And instead of me being so compelling in my speech that I talk them into trusting Jesus, they already are trusting Jesus. Their heart is open to the gospel. The thing about evangelism and discipleship because they go together is that in fact you don't do one without the other and that gets a problem when we do that but what happens is is as we disciple people their eyes are opened and what happens is evangelism happens in the context of discipleship discipleship happens in the context of evangelism and people are born again not because of our clever speech do you remember Paul coming and saying I came to you in fear in trembling, and not with persuasive or clever words. Paul, wait, the great apostle Paul in fear and trembling, and actually saying, and I'm a horrible speaker. I, I didn't come with persuasive words. I came to you, and he says this, in a demonstration of the Spirit. Because here's the deal. No human being has ever converted a human heart. Only the Spirit of God. Only the Spirit of God can open our eyes. It's called revelation, and that word revelation simply means to be revealed. How many of you have ever had trouble opening one of those uh, bacon packs? Annette always hands me the bacon and says, would you open this? I'm like, where's my knife? Because you have to peel those, remember the corners? Am I, I'm just talking real here. This is, just gets real. Trying to peel those things, and you know, I mean, they're, they're like childproof and adult proof sometimes, and I'm like, ah, where's the scissors? And so she'll hand, but what this is, once you get that thing going and you peel it back, what you're doing is you're revealing what's inside. That's what revelation is. And only the Spirit of God can reveal the good news of Jesus Christ. We bring the message, but do we impart faith? Absolutely not. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Christ. Romans 10:17 says. And so it's actually the gospel, the message of the good news that produces faith to hear and then that in turn opens eyes and hearts. My heart was unlocked not because somebody compelled me to to pray a prayer and to get saved. My heart was open because I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when it clicked, it clicked. It was like everything locked into place. I went, that, this is that. That makes sense. And when that happened, no one had to talk me into it. And I guarantee you, no one could talk me out of it. Why? Because it happened right here. It was exploded in my heart. But I was discipled before I was born again. So the idea of discipleship here, church, it's not about more evangelism, but more discipleship. We've got to make disciples. And by the way, the idea behind discipleship is also that as you are being discipled, you go and disciple others. The whole idea behind the purple book, this little, it's just a tool. It's all it is. There's nothing sacred about it. There's nothing magical about it. It's just another tool in the toolbox. But what we're trying to equip you to do is get you a few chapters into it, and that's all you need to be in order to take somebody else through it. Because here's the deal. 
The scripture does the work for you. It's not about you being a teacher or being a theologian or being a doctoral student in, in biblical studies. You let the scripture do what the scripture does. It reveals Christ. Old Testament, Old Covenant reveals Jesus. New Testament, New Covenant reveals Jesus. Right? And so, we're going to move on. All right, let's hit the ground running on this. So, if someone is deprived of food and water for an extended period of time, their physical body will weaken and eventually die, right? Now, I practice intermittent fasting. What that is is I, I go to bed, and then I don't eat again till 12 or 1 o'clock, typically. I, don't, I hardly ever do breakfast, but I'll fast for 16, 17, 18 hours. And I do that almost every day. Not every day, but most every day. And I practice it. So I'm not starving my body. My body's locked into that. There's a rhythm to that, and then there's, a, there's a science behind it, and there's a reason it works. And what it does, it, it creates a rhythm in my body that works now. But if I was to, to, to not eat for seven days, and by the way, has anyone ever fasted from food? I'm not talking Daniel fast where you're stuffing vegetables down your throat. I'm talking actual fasting, you're drinking water. Okay, I've done that too. Uh, I did a seven-day fast, and all I did was I had water, and I cheated with some coffee now and then So, because uh, I was getting those terrible caffeine headaches. So I did that. So I'm just saying, and the Lord loves me anyway. So... I, I did do that, so Starbucks was my friend during that fast. But, but here's the deal, no food, no solid food. And about three or four days into it, I started getting euphoric. I felt like I was on nitrous at the dentist office, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, wow, things look different, things look clearer. It's like, it's like the fog lifted and, and life looked high definition. It was amazing. And this was on a trip that I took from uh, Brownwood, Texas to uh, Temecula, California to, to do some things there. And, and so I drove the whole way. And it was just an amazing, that whole trip was amazing because I was fasting the whole time. And my body began to go through changes, but it also impacted my brain, the way I was thinking. But here's the deal. If I just kept going, and completely depleting my body of food, eventually I would run out of fuel. I wasn't in ketosis, so I, my body wasn't feeding on its own fat. It probably kicked into it after a few days automatically. But here's the thing is, is you cannot go without food. Your car cannot go without fuel. That's a horrible feeling to run out of gas on a highway in the middle of somewhere, you know what I'm saying, or out in the middle of nowhere especially if you live in West Texas. There's nobody coming for a while. You're just out there. So here's the thing. There's a spiritual parallel. The Word of God is our spiritual food and water. As surely as we will die physically without food and water, we will die spiritually without God's Word. And so we have to come to this place where we realize, I need to be hungry for the Word of God. The first sermon I ever preached at Grace Point Church in Abilene, Texas, I was called there to be the pastor. We were there 10 years. And the first sermon I preached was hungering for God. Hungering for God. And I quoted a pastor who said this, nothing moves the hand of God like spiritual hunger. Nothing moves the hand of God like spiritual hunger. This passion for him, passion for his word, passion for his presence, passion for him. The church we were part of in Tennessee in Leaper's Fork was called Grace Chapel. And their mission statement, which was everywhere, all over the place, was becoming passionate servants of Jesus Christ. There's that word again, passion. 
There's something about spiritual hunger that connotes passion. It connotes an intensity. It connotes a desire to be closer to him, to know him. It doesn't connote lethargy and apathy. It doesn't connote swinging in a hammock on a spring day and just saying, fill me up, Lord. There's actually something that God values about us when we draw near to him. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's actually a covenant statement. It's an if-then statement. If you do this, he will do that. And I take him up on that promise. And in my prayer time, I'll, I'll actually just say it out of my mouth. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I draw near. I come close. I draw near to you. I come close to you. And I thank you that even as I do that, I thank you already because I know, according to your word, you're drawing near to me. And we meet in the middle. All God's waiting for is movement. Spiritual hunger connotes that. This idea of movement. Nothing moves the hand of God like spiritual hunger. So let's hit the ground running. So here it is. Chapter 5, Lesson 3, if you have your book on spiritual hunger, what was David's greatest desire? Remember King David, right? We know David, and we know his heart. Psalm 119, verse 81 says this, My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. Anybody remember what the Bible word hope means? Confident expectation. I hope in your word. I expect. I have a confidence about it. I confidently expect that there's something in your word, in your words, that will feed my soul. Again, he says, my soul faints for your salvation, but I hope, but I hope in your word. And so, hungering after God, that was one of his greatest desires. Listen to this. How did the sons of Korah describe the condition of their souls? Again, found in the book of Psalms, verse 42. This is a familiar because we probably know the hymn or the song better than we know the scripture. So here it is. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, there's a lot of deer running around and there's a lot of baby deers running around. Have you noticed? Boy, they are, they're everywhere right now. Cute little things. And, and, Here's the thing, in the scripture, in the King James Version, they translate it as a heart, it's a deer, H-A-R-T. But the picture of this, I remember one of my Bible professors in college at Howard Payne telling us the story that, that the way they would catch deer, they didn't have implements like we did, they didn't have a 22-250 or a, or a 243 or a 30 or a 30-30, they didn't have guns. They didn't have a, a compound bow with incredible technology. All they had was a bunch of people. And what they would do, they would go into a wooded area and they would make a huge circle. And they would make a lot of noise and they knew that somewhere in there, there were deer. They knew where they were, just like we know where they are around here. And they would circle and they would begin to close the circle and they would beat implements, metal, pottery, whatever, to make noise. And they would yell and they would whoop and holler. And what they would do, these deer would begin to dart about crazily because they're, they're scared. And they would run to one end of their area, and they'd see there's people over there, and they, it would begin to freak them out. They would just go crazy. And what would happen is they would close the circle, and there would be two or three or four deer in there that would literally, by the time they closed that circle down on them, they were, they were almost dead from exhaustion and anxiety. And they would run themselves. And the picture here is that. As the deer pants for the water brooks. Can you imagine a deer that's been run down like that over and over and over? 
how that deer is panting and longing. And that's the picture. The picture is of a deer, a heart, a deer that's been run down. And that's how much we're to pant for him. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you. Do you see complacency in that? Do you see boredom in that? Do you say, eh, I'll take it or leave it. Eh, I'll take it or leave it. I don't. I see passion. I see thirst. I see a desire. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God. Now he just flips it. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? And I love these scriptures as they reveal this idea of hunger and thirst. So number three, if you're following in your book, what was the psalmist's attitude toward God's presence? Psalm 84, 1 and 2, and it's there on your screen, and it's in your book. It's in your book if you looked it up. I've added these in. By the way, before I even take another step forward, I want to encourage you to do the book. Don't wait until tonight to start trying to fill in blanks, but really get into the book and let the scripture speak to you, because the word of God is so multi-layered. It's layered, it's stacked with truth. And every time you read it, even verses that you've read before, has this ever happened to you? You've read that verse a hundred times and you read it again, maybe with a different question or maybe you've been prompted to look it up through the study and suddenly you see something different. You see a different, a different letter highlights, a different word speaks to you or, or a comma you didn't notice that sort of shifts the idea and the meaning of the scripture. That's called revelation. That's the Holy Spirit showing you another facet, another nuance of the scripture. And that's what's so amazing about the Bible. Best-selling book of all time, of all history, and yet you can read it and never exhaust it because it's always going to speak to you. And what I do, I don't know if you do this, but I like to, if I, if I stay in one translation for a long time, I'll just go to a different translation or I'll, I'll compare translations. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can actually compare translations where it actually will show you several translations. You can even choose the ones you're comparing and that really helps get even more out of it. I love to do that. So listen to what the what the, the psalmist says in regard to God's presence. Psalm 84, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, there's that word again, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Can you hear the passion in that? Can you hear the heart in that? It's, it's this, I desire, I need you, I desire you, I need you, Lord. Psalm 84, 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I love the song that was written a number of years ago by the Passion Group. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This is this idea that I want to be in his presence. I don't know if you remember the story, but in... Um, in Exodus chapter 33, great passage there, but there's this obscure scripture there, and it has to do with Joshua. Remember, Moses would go out to the tent of meeting outside the camp. You remember that? He would go out there, and he would meet with the Lord, and the smoke, the pillar of smoke would hover over the tent of meeting. Can you imagine seeing that? Can you use your sanctified imagination to go, whoa, that would be amazing to see the tangible, visible presence of God in smoke 
hanging over a tent. Moses would go out and would meet with God, and God would counsel with him, and it says that they would talk like face-to-face, friend-to-friend. Isn't that amazing? But here's what's really cool, and what we don't always notice is that in, in, in Exodus, it says that when Moses would go back, you remember what the whole village would do, the whole nation would do when he went out? It says they would bow down. They would stand at their doorposts, at their tents, while Moses went out to meet the Lord. And the reverence and awe here is amazing. And it says they would all bow down. Can you see a million people bowing down as he walked out to meet God in the tent? Isn't that awesome? Just, just reverence in that. There's something, something honorable and holy about that. And haven't we lost some of that? But just this idea of reverence and awe and respect and honor and then the people would, would just, out of reverence, bow down, which, by the way, is another word for worship. And so they would worship. They would bow down. So when Moses was done, the Bible says he would come back to the village. He'd come, he would come back in. But it says, curious verse says this, but Joshua would stay behind in the tent. Have you ever caught that before? I've brought it up before because it's just, one of the, my favorite little, one of those little hidden nuggets, a little gem. Joshua would stay behind in the tent while Moses went back. What was Joshua doing? Man, he's hanging out in the presence. He's hosting the presence of God. He didn't want to leave. You ever been in a church service where the presence of God was so powerful, and when they said amen and people didn't want to leave? People just hung out. People didn't take off. People didn't bolt for the cafeteria or the, or the backwoods over here. I mean, literally just no one wanted to move. Steve, did you have something? We, we used to do a thing, Steve, uh, in Abilene because we had a really just, our worship team had just, we'd all gelled for years together. And so we would do these encounter nights. We just call it encounter. And there was only one agenda. It was Jesus. We didn't plan anything. We just picked out seven songs, eight songs. And it'd be like a Wednesday night, about once a quarter. And we even warned Sunday folks, like, if you get nervous about people getting really excited about Jesus, you might not want to come. <laughs> We're just disclaimer because there, this, there are no limits here. We're not going to box God in and we're not going to box our worship in. This is an opportunity to dance, sing, play, jump, shout. And by the way, I'm playing lead guitar that night and I'm shredding. So I'm just, you know, we would warn them. And, you know, but what would happen it was so amazing. We would just get so caught up in the presence of God and just in worship and flowing and being there that when we were done, no one would leave. And we would go, uh, so we finally figured out we need to have a few more songs ready to go. And we would just, we would just go. We'd just pull a song out of the folder and go. And it was amazing to watch People leaving their seats, gets me emotional thinking about it. People would leave their seats and come up and we'd have the whole church around the front. And they weren't up there because the band was there. They're up there because this is the altar and it's, it's recognized as a holy place. Wasn't there for the band, they were there for the presence of God. And, and we would have those moments, Steve, where no one wanted to leave. Yes, Rose.
<laughs> Keep circling. Wheels back up. You know, Rose, that has, we've talked about that, actually. We, we've had these conversations, and you know what? I, I, I'm precursor to Sunday. I see that in the vision piece of this. The word vision, when we're talking about visioneering, it means being able to see out front. I mean, it's what a vision is, right? And I see this church growing as a worshiping church, as one of our highest values is hosting the presence of God. So that's so yes, that answer your question. And what I love is the way that Joshua did not leave the presence of God. Now, what's interesting, not too much further in the story, do you remember what happened? Moses got really upset with the people, did he not? He finally blew a gasket. Can you blame him? I mean, geez, they were just stubborn, obstinate, whining and complaining constantly. Trust me, as a pastor, I know how that feels. And you do. You just, you feel like that when Jesus says, how much longer must I bear with you? Remember when Jesus told the disciples that? He wasn't, that wasn't like a wonderful teaching. He was frustrated. Remember, he's the son of man, not just the son of God. He was human too. He's like, how much longer must I bear with you? He's like, ugh. And so the same thing was happening, and Moses got really frustrated, and he, he got out ahead of God, and he struck the rock. Of course, the rock did produce water, but it also cost Moses the, the honor and the privilege of taking them over into the promised land, which Moses was living for that moment, and yet lost it. But who took him over? The young man that stayed back in the tent. The young man that hung out with God. I always think of him like Larry Bird of the, of the, of the Celtics. I'm sorry. You, anybody know about Larry Bird? When the team would go in, Larry Bird would stay out and shoot another thousand free throws and stand around the, the, the three-point mark and just shoot and shoot and shoot. And he became one of the greatest shooters. He was, he was clumsy. He wasn't fast. He wasn't quick but he could shoot the eyes out of a basket. Why? Because he stayed back when everybody else went into the locker room. And I always think of Joshua. Joshua stayed back when everybody else went about their business, including Moses. He stayed back, but he was the one who received the mantle after that. Does that make sense? That'll preach, won't it? There's a sermon in there. Do you have something, Steve? You're, oh, you're just waving. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, amen. Preach on. Stay on that, Pastor. So, yes, ma'am. Can you say that in the microphone? That's, that's a beautiful thing. This church, Fredericksburg, Oak Hills Church, Fredericksburg, was formed to be a worship church. We all had it at Crown Ridge, and we wanted it for Fredericksburg. And that's the basis of this church. Beautiful. Well, this is that. So we're, we're, we're continuing down that, that track and uh, for such a time as this, right? So I love this. A, thousand, a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell. He's like, I'll just, let me just keep the door. Let me, I'll just, I'll let people in, but I just want to be that close. I just, I don't even care where I'm on the bus. I just want to be on the bus. Put me in the luggage compartment as long as I'm on the bus. See what, see here the language here? The heart is to be near and to remain close. Number four, who did Jesus say will be filled? Oh, I love this. 
I love this. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And look at the promise. For they shall be. They shall be. Why? Because God, nothing moves the hand of God like spiritual hunger. When you're hungry, God's attracted to that because he wants to feed his kids. He's a good father, a good papa, a good daddy, a good Abba. And so he wants to. He, so he's attracted to hunger. And oh, I just have so many stories of being a young Howard Payne ministerial student. There's a whole group of us so on. We were scary on fire for God. And I have to tell you, I still am. I just try to cap it a little bit more. I've sort of put a little governor on it for your sakes, because I don't know that you could handle it, honestly. And uh, I've already scared a lot of people here in Fredericksburg, but, but because of passion. Because of passion. Because here's the deal. I don't know what you got saved from, but I know and I remember what I got saved from. I remember where I was, and, and the Lord has not allowed those memories to fade one bit. And I know where I'd be if it were not for him. So yeah, I'm going to be passionate. I'm going to be fiery. I'm going to be strong. Because this is real to me. This isn't a game. This isn't a career. This isn't even a career choice. Not on my part. This is, this is who I am. This is who I'm called to be. Every Sunday, I, I sit over there in that area where Steve is, and every Sunday during worship, I whisper to the Lord during worship, I was born to do this. To preach? No, to worship. I was born for this. This is what I was created for. So I am, I am the most at home in my skin on Sunday mornings. Annette and I, when we used to go on dates together, we went to church to date I was on staff at a church on Sunday morning. On Saturday night, we found another church that was slightly more exciting than ours, I'm just saying, because we were so hungry for God, and we wanted worship, and we, were, and, and we would go on dates to church because we wanted to be in the house of the Lord. And you know what? It's not any different now. It's not any different now. Because we love God's presence. I can get God's presence in my shower. I'm just saying, he shows up all the time. Talks to me a lot there. And I sing a lot to him in the shower. I can get God's presence in the cab of my truck. And I talk to him a lot there, running up and down Milam Street. But let me tell you something. There's something that's unique when the people of God gather to honor him. And he shows up in a new and fresh way. If church is boring for you, that means you have not tapped into him. Because here's the deal. Church isn't the goal. Church is the excuse to get us together so that we become the body of Christ for a little while, for an hour and a half. We become something that we can't be on our own. Did you hear that? When we gather together, we become something that we cannot be on our own. You can worship God all day in your shower, and you should. I got version Bible going on the, on the Amazon Alexa, you know, quoting Colossians while I'm in the shower praying. But there's, and as awesome as that is, it's better when I'm here with you and Russ and the team are up here pouring their hearts out for us and lead us, leading us in to the tent of meeting or the most holy place. Because there's something I can't replicate outside of this scope. That's why we need each other. We need community. Does that make sense? We need each other. 
So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? That word righteousness, that means rightness, to be right before him, to be clean, pure, open before him. That doesn't mean because you're behaving right. It means because you've accepted the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus for yourself. You can't behave right. Sorry to bust your bubble. You can grit your teeth and try harder. How's that working for you? You have to rest into the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that's where it happens. That's the good news. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it, because they shall be filled. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? That's good. That's called good news. That's called gospel. Number eight, if you're following along, what did Jeremiah say about God's word? I love this. This is a great verse. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. That sounds funny to me. I don't know. Can you just picture that? You know, he's crumpling up parchment or whatever he had there. He's eating it. He says, they're so important to me that I consumed them. I consumed them. I don't know about you, but when I first got born again, that is how I knew I was born again because I developed a ravenous hunger for the Word of God. Did I understand it? Hardly a word. I mean, seriously. And when I read it, I did not come with filters because I wasn't raised in church. So it was a brand new book to me. Have you ever picked up a book? Have you ever been to a movie you didn't see the trailer for and you've not seen any reviews and you were surprised at how amazing it was? Like, how did I not know this? When I picked up the Bible and started reading and not even knowing where to go, thank the Lord that when I was doing my little you know, Bible roulette thing, I landed on the New Testament. I just happened to go past halfway and ended up in the New Testament. Ended up in the book of John. No, I ended up in Corinthians. In fact, it was Corinthians 5.17. I went, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. I think that's the Holy Spirit. I was just thumbing that thing. Y'all ever done that? I mean, I was brand new. I knew nothing. I had nothing. I finally did pick up, and I've told y'all this before, this neat thing. I think the Southern Baptist put this out. I got it at a bookstore, Christian bookstore in Lubbock, the Good News bookstore. And I remember picking this up. It was called the Survival Kit for New Christians. And it sort of explained, you know, this is what you're going to feel initially. This is, and it was a discipleship booklet. It was wonderful, and it gave me a place to go, a little track to run on. And, but I was so ravenous for the Word of God, so hungry for the Word of God. Went to, uh, I was meeting with a youth group, as a youth and college group at South Crest Baptist Church in Lubbock. And I remember I was so lost and so didn't know anything. And I just got a Bible. A friend of mine had bought me a Bible, and I was excited, and I got invited to this breakfast. And I didn't know what they did at this breakfast. I show up, there's 40 or 50 students at First Cafeteria in Lubbock on like a 6 a.m. on a Thursday morning. And I knew them from church, because I was just new to church. I was getting to know people, and I knew nothing. What, it, what, what that study was about was they were memorizing Scripture. So here I am, not only am I the new kid, I don't even know a Bible passage. I didn't know John 3.16. So I show up, and they, they have notebooks, spiral-bound notebooks with scriptures written in them uh, that they were memorizing together. And I had nothing. So I'm sitting there going, and I'm noticing they're going around the circle, and everybody's quoting scripture. Y'all know what that does, right? It's when you're sitting in a circle, and somebody goes, we're all going to pray tonight. 
you just feel free to pray and you're like, I've never prayed in front of people before. That's, in, that's terrifying for people. We have to be careful as life group leaders and in context not to, not to put that on somebody if they're not ready for it. So, so they're going around and, and I'm like, and then it dawned on me, wait, I think I do remember a verse. It was one that I read out of the survival kit for new Christians. And it was about, it was about the word of God. And it was, if I remember this right, Psalm 111, verse 19. It says, and I learned it in the King James, Elizabethan English. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Gospel truth, what happened? I've told this story in here before, but we've all slept since then. So here it is. What happened was they came all the way around the table when they got to me and they, and I'm like sweating. And it's not because of the sausage I was eating. I mean, I literally, I was sweating because I was so embarrassed. Guess what scripture they called out to be quoted when it got to me? Yeah. Psalm 119. I get chill bumps thinking about it. Psalm 119, verse 11. That is the spirit. That is my papa saying, I love you so much. I'm not going to allow you to be embarrassed because I know it's going to humiliate you. And boy, I was loud and proud with the one Bible verse I knew. I belted it out. I felt great. And then I was like, I got a lot of catching up to do. I got me one of those notebooks and started learning. Here you go, Steve. Let's, let's do this. Last Monday in my Bible study, we always close with prayer. And uh, I always say, you don't, if you're not used to praying out loud, be silent. But uh, one of the new ladies there says, I, my English is not good. Can I pray in Spanish? I said, sweetheart, you pray your heart out in Spanish or whatever language you got. And she prayed such a beautiful, I understood what she was saying, but it didn't make any difference. She just poured out her heart to God, you know, and I had tears in my eyes. You know, she could have done it in Vietnamese or whatever, but her heart was open to God that i love it so let's look at jeremiah here but in that isn't that like god to to just protect one of his own new babies your words were found and i ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart for i am called by your name O lord god of hosts i was telling annette this last week I've actually, I'm continuing to learn and grow. Even after all these years of doing this, I have found that my favorite way to preach is expositional, expository. I like taking a whole narrative of the Bible. I love going through book of Acts was just pure joy for me. There's something about it because I get to dig in deeper into the context, the story, the background, the framework, the language, the history, all of that, for whatever reason, it speaks to me at a deeper place than just hopping around topics, topics, topics. And, and so I'm going to be leaning more into that. Y'all noticed last week I did the prodigal, prodigal God, the lavish father, prodigal God. That's, but I loved it because it was a narrative, and I could dig into that and flow with that. And so that's what's so exciting about the Word of God and about being and growing as a, as a follower of Jesus is we continue to grow we continue to learn. We continue, it never stops. I'm learning new things about myself. Why? Because I continue to eat the word. Like Jeremiah, keep eating the word. 
Keep digesting the word. And don't ever think to yourself, I've heard this before. I already know this. That is, those are dangerous words as a, from a disciple of Jesus. Jerry, you got something? Yes. Come on. Come on. Just throw some, some good Tabasco on there and just go. Take it. Devour it. Take it. And then let it birth life in you and birth hope in you. So look what else he says. Your word was me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I so relate to that. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. When I was a brand new freshman at Texas Tech, our English teacher went around the class and said, I want you to introduce yourself and tell us what you aspire to do. Because brand new freshman English. And, and we went around the class. And I was a little embarrassed. I was like, man, the only thing I want to do is be a Bible scholar. That was it. I was so hungry, so on fire. The only reason I went back to college after failing out of my first semester, yes, I did. I partied out of my first semester is what I did. But after getting born again, I went back to school with a passion two years later, and that passion was to be equipped to teach and preach the Word of God. So I started at Texas Tech and then transferred to Howard Payne, which is a Christian school, but I grew up two blocks from Tech, so it was normal for me to be there. But I remember us going around the circle, and it came to me, and I said, I want to be a Bible scholar. I'm going to be a Bible scholar. I want to know the Bible, the Word of God, you know. And, and it was cool, because she was a Christian, too. It turned out later, she was really cool. And uh, she said, well, that's a pretty ambitious goal. And I said, yes, it is. That's why I'm here. And uh, I remember actually a couple of students that I became friends with came and talked to me after that because I was bold about saying that out loud in the class. And they came and we ended up becoming friends because they were followers of Jesus too. Just that hunger, that passion, and it's never diminished. It's only increased since then. Because here's what happens. When you're hungry and you begin to feed hunger, you'll get hungrier. That's what carbs do to you, right? <laughs> carbs bad word of God good amen amen but it's the same principle the more you get the more you want <laughs> what happens if we only listen did I get that nope let me get that what happens if we only listen to the word if we only listen to the word this is interesting Take James 1.22. We all know the book of James, right? Cut to the chase, right? James, he's just going to lay it out there. James 1.22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Listen to that. If we only listen to the word, only listen to the word, but not do the word, what are we doing? We're deceiving ourselves. I'm telling you, churches are full of Christians who have sat on their blessed assurance for years, hearing the word, but not actually walking it out. Not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love. We can just stop on that one. Not bearing love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the ability to govern oneself. That's a spiritual grace, a fruit of the Spirit. That's how you know if someone's for real. Do they bear the fruit of the Spirit? It's not complicated. There's your litmus test. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Let's look at the next one. 
How does James describe those who only listen to the word without putting it into practice? Verses 23 and 24, same passage. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Why? Because there's no application. There's no dwelling. It's just a glimpse and gone. Jesus told the parable, the sower, talked about four different types of soil. Same seed, and the seed was the Word of God, but it went into various kinds of soil. Some soil was hard, it was hard pack, so it wouldn't take root. It would, it would germinate, but it wouldn't take root, and it burned up. Other soil, it was, it was full of thistles and thorns, and, and the weeds themselves actually choked out the seed. And then there was another kind of, of soil that, I, didn't, I can't remember the third one, but there was, what? Thank you, yes. The birds came along, right? And snatched the seed up. Snatched the seed up. Yeah, top and shadow of, of, of the enemy. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Good. And then that last soil was the good soil, right? That's why when I do the offering, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a lot about seed. Good seed going into good ground produces a good harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And that's not just a nice story. It's a truth. It's a Bible truth. And so this idea that the Word of God going into good ground, and here's what I have to check my own heart. Am I good ground? Yes, ma'am. I'm what? Quoted a lot. <laughs> I hope it's better the second time. Because the second time around, it's, it's oh, thank you, thank you, Miss Charlene. It's beautiful. So listen to this. If anyone's a hearer, it's like a man. Of, you just you get a glimpse, but you forget. It's just it's just not there. It's there. It's gone. It's there and it's gone. So let's keep going. What happens to those who hear and who hear and act on the word? So you hear the word and then you do something. James one twenty five. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, word perfect means complete or whole law of liberty, and continues in it. Notice that continues. It's not a one glance. This is an ongoing, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Now let me just ask a real honest question. Do you want to be blessed in what you do? So don't just read the word, heed the word. Don't just read it, heed it. That's the key, that's the trick. There are all kinds of mirrors out there, right? And I'm telling you, if your mirror is not your maker, you're looking in the wrong mirror. And because there's a lot of voices out there going to try to distract us. But we look into him, his face, his reflection. He's the mirror we need to be looking at, not ourselves. Continues in it. Notice that? So this isn't just a little dabble, do you? This is ongoing. Jeremiah had apparently a steady diet of the word. He continued to eat, continued to stay in it. Okay, a couple more and we'll land the plane. We're almost done. How did the Bereans respond to the preaching of Paul and Silas? How often did they read and study the scriptures? In Acts chapter 17, this group of Bereans, we remember from our own study, they were, they were intense. 
they didn't just take it like it was given. They, they considered carefully what they were hearing. And I have people come up, and, and people that will question me, and I'll, I'll think to myself, ah, oh, you're a Berean. That's, and that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. I'm glad you're thinking. I'm glad you're questioning. I'm glad you want to know more. I'm glad you want clarity. I'm glad you, you want to know what I meant by that. I'm okay with all that. Let's talk. Let's sit and reason together. That's, that's the beauty. Iron sharpens iron. How did the Bereans respond? Listen to this. Acts 17, 11. These were more fair-minded, describing these Bereans, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And that is what I desire you to do. Don't just take my word for it. Now, don't just throw me in file 13 either. I mean, don't just go, I forget you. You know, you're a hick from West Texas. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm saying you take it and then you say, all right, I'm going to study that. I'm going to go deeper with that. I'm going to get on my computer. I'm going to get on my Bible. I'm going to get on my, I'm going to go deeper with that. And really, if you really are a student of the word, what will happen to you, and some, I know this happens, you'll be listening to a sermon, whether it's me, Max, whether it was Randy back in the day, and you want to stay cued in on the whole message, but something is said that you just take off on a trail, and you're starting to open your Bible, and you start following. Listen, that is, a, that is an anointed rabbit that you're chasing. Chase that rabbit. Now, if you're tweeting and Facebooking, that's different, but if you're actually, you're in your Bible going, wait, this leads to that, and this connects to that, and suddenly dots start connected, that's the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. Follow Him. Follow him, nod and laugh at my jokes while you're doing it. You'll help me, but you follow him. You follow him. He'll take you off. And it, it's amazing how people will come to me and they'll apologize. Well, pastor, I wasn't really listening because there's something you said and it got me going on here and then I found this scripture and then, then I felt led to go read this one. I'm going, man, you are on it. You got everything you needed to get today. So let this, let that flow. If that's happening to you, don't ignore the prompting of the Spirit to chase what He's leading you into. Does that make sense? He may be teaching you something that's maybe related to this or associated with it, but He's got something for you. He's got something for you. By the way, if you get a nugget a week for 52 weeks, you got a lot of nuggets. You know what I'm saying? You don't think you can digest all the content we're putting out up here. It's not even possible. So what are those nuggets? What are those takeaways? What is that word that you're going to eat for that week and, and digest? I love the Bereans. I'm a Berean for sure. All right. Describe what happens to the man who hears Jesus' words and then puts them into practice. This is familiar. Luke 6. Listen to this. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Now look what Jesus does. Same question, verse continuing. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. All right, that's they need a lot of explaining there. We're talking about a well-built home. And we're talking about not built 
out in deep west Texas, which is sand and loam. We're talking about a house where the, the foundations have gone down to the bedrock. And it doesn't say that a storm may someday come. It says when it comes. Amen. Steve, you got something? That was it. That was it. So, so that's the thing is that the storms will come. The key is, are you stormproof? Do you know how to batten down your hatches? You do that through the Word of God. You build your house on the rock. Listen to this, and it goes on. So, look at the next one. 649, there it is. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Do y'all know anybody whose house has fallen? And where you could look at them and say, the ruin was great. I'm telling you, as a pastor, 35 years, I've seen a lot of ruin. And it's heartbreaking. Because there's nothing I can do about it but hopefully be there to scoop up, <laughs> put the, try to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It doesn't always work. But this is someone who hears the word but does not put it into practice. It's a no thank you, God. I got this. And again, it's not if the, if the stream rises, if the wind blows, if the storm comes, it's coming. And that's not being negative it's being realistic. We have to storm-proof our lives, storm-proof our houses. All right, a couple things. We're almost done. If we hold to Jesus' teaching, what will happen? John eight thirty one. Y'all know this is one of my favorite passages. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Remember the word abide doesn't mean read occasionally. It means to live in. That's what you do. You live in your home. You live in your home. You live in your home. That is where you live. You dwell. It's the place where you reside. It's all the same. Same idea. If you dwell, reside, abide, live in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? It will make you free. Remember, the truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's not just a, a stack of principles. It's not just a, a, a row of check boxes or a list, a to-do list. It's a relationship with a person. Truth is a person. Truth is a person. Facts, that's different. Those are temporary and subject to change. But truth is eternal and truth is a person. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Okay? Two more. What is the proof of our love for Jesus? John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them. You hearing the theme here? Abide, dwell, keep, continues. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or show myself to him. Do you want to see him? I'm telling you, that's the hunger of my life. That's the joy of my life. I want to see him. And I've had glimpses through the years, glimpses and moments and 
places where you're like, surely the presence of the Lord is here. And we've touched it here. Right, right. And that's, look what he says. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest, appear, show myself to him. I love that. It's beautiful. Someday, face to face, right? All right, last one. What is the proof of our love for Jesus? John 14, this is continuing that passage, verse 23. It says this, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's pretty clear, isn't it? He will abide, he'll continue in, he'll keep. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Isn't that beautiful? Takes up a residence in your own life. Remember that the scripture says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in houses not made with hands, the scripture says. I bet, I bet he'll let you do that. I want to be on the worship team when I get there. And I can just imagine that equipment, I'm telling you. I've let my sanctified imagination go crazy on this stuff. Nothing compared to what I have here. <laughs> he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. It's just juxtaposing the one who loves me, does the word, keeps the word continues in the Word, lives in the Word, abides in the Word. The one who doesn't, doesn't. It's pretty clear. It's almost like Jesus is saying what Annette has said to me on a number of occasions. Don't tell me. Show me. All the men are feeling very awkward right now. Like, oh, I've heard that too. <laughs> it's all right, boys. We're in this together. But it's true. It's true. She doesn't want to hear it. She wants to see it. Feel it, sense it, know it, demonstrative. Amen? So are you hungry? You thirsty? Oh, man. It's one of my prayers for you is that it's like eating a Pringle off the stack. That first Pringle, you're done. You can't stop. You get a little bit, you've got to have more. Amen? Huh? Well, we don't anymore. It's just a past thing, but... It's a old preacher story now. Let's stand together. We'll pray, and thank you for being here tonight. We're going to continue on, and I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit. I have a goal to finish by the end of the summer of this, the Purple Book study, so I'm going to pace ourselves through that because I'm really excited about taking a step into the fall. We'll take another step. I'll share that with you where we're going to go in the fall, but I'm going to be ready to shift gears and hit the ground running in the fall with some stuff. But uh, So we're going to go ahead and accelerate a little bit and make sure we get, get done on time. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Like Jeremiah, we, we beheld your word and we did eat it. It's, it's a, almost sounds odd, but it's, it's a strange metaphor. But in a sense, it also makes a lot of sense to me that we want to be those who devour your scripture, devour your word, who are students of your word. And like the Bereans, we want to search the scriptures and learn and begin peeling back layer after layer after layer of truth. And Father, I believe what that preacher said many years ago. It, it touched my life when I heard it. It even shaped my passion. He said this, Nothing moves the hand of God like spiritual hunger. 
And Father, because my passion is to see you move and to see you work and to see you interactive in our lives and in my life and those in my orbit, I've just then I want to be hungry. I want more, desire, desire more. Father, I'm asking as a son to a good father for a favor. Would you release, even supernaturally, over this group an accelerated, increased hunger for your word? That we would want to devour it and learn and grow and study. Lord, as it will continue to produce life, it'll produce stability, it'll produce hope, it'll produce passion, and it'll produce fruit not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people that we get to touch. So Lord, fill us with your word that we may go forth and leak your word and leak life everywhere we go. And I pray for God encounters for the rest of this week, Lord, for each of our people that we will say, this is that, this is God. Lord, give us grace to connect the dots between what we're learning and what's happening in our lives, where we live, where we work, and where we play. We pray these things in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you.